Desert Power in honor of Dune Part 2 in theaters this weekend. What is the best Timothy Chalamet performance? Uh, I'm Katie Rich and I could make some other choices here, but I'm just going to say come at me haters and go with Wonka. I'm Matt Patches. I don't want to imply that Timmy has has peaked, uh, but call me by your name. Pretty unmatched years later, and uh, I wish him the best. It's so good. It's me, David the Seven, and I think I have to go basic bitch with Lady Bird, mostly because that's the closest Chalamet to my actual past. It's hella tight. <laughs> hella tight. <laughs> Very baller choice, and uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and uh, Dave went with Lady Bird, so I will go with the first movie where I remember noticing Timothy Chalamet, which is Julia Hart's Miss Stevens. He's excellent in that movie. Relatively little scene to some of the later stuff that he did, but still probably one of the most involved and uh, high degree of difficulty performances he's ever given. I know that's different from the movie Miss Sloan, but I don't sure remember which is which or um, what. Miss Sloan's the one about gun violence with Jessica Chastain that I saw when the like when the movie was starting the Comey thing came out about how he was investigating Hillary Clinton. Oh and uh, and you've had PTSD ever since. Yeah, I had to spend the next like two hours mostly thinking about that. Cool. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 464. It is the week of Wednesday, February 28th. That is the day that in 1909, there was the first National Woman's Day uh, observed in the United States. Uh, you could make a joke about how uh, they solved all oh. of our problems, but Dave has included helpful context which is that it was organized by the Socialist Party of America in honor of the 1908 garment workers strike in New York where women protested against working conditions. So, yeah, hot. you don't go to NYU and don't love the Triangle Factory fire. Look, I do know about that one. So, yeah, hot labor spring continues. We Katie. stand in solidarity with our women garment workers. Yeah, Katie, what did you do for uh, National Women's Day? Uh, let's see. Uh, that is tomorrow as we record this. So, um what are you going to do for National Women's Day? Ooh, tomorrow? I'm going to uh, take my kids to school and maybe ride my knockoff Peloton. How's that sound for honoring the women who came before me? What's it called? Like a Pelonaut? This <laughs> is a Schwinn. If, any, if anyone wants information about using the Peloton app, although, you know, the Peloton app kind of sucks these days. Lots of thoughts there. That's, that's how I'm using my power as a woman is thinking about Peloton. Uh, women. Ah, we're back. We've come so far. So powerful. Uh, I believe, David, we have no reviews. But that's not the whole story. But just to confirm, David, do we have any reviews? We don't. Not on our podcast page, on the Apple Podcast app, at least. It really counts. Well, Dave, can Maybe? you rescue us from monologuing? Yes. Uh, got three emails. This first email's subject line is in lieu of a review. And uh, it also rhymes with the first line, which is, Hi, Fitware Crew. I reviewed the podcast a few years ago, and I'm sending an email to help future listeners avoid punishment. Dave, I think maybe the romantic media you're watching slash consuming perhaps just isn't actually all that romantic. I'm a big romance reader, and let me tell you, movies and television are not where it's at if you want sweeping romance. I'm pretty sure there's more chemistry and love between Frodo and Sam in the Lord of the Rings movies than in any version of the characters in one day. May I suggest we could be so good by Cat Sebastian 
The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon or Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. Writing them down. We could be so good. David. I read that book. It is very romantic. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. David, how about the Rangers? As I write this, they're on a seven-game winning streak. I was crazy uh, enough to go see them play in the stadium series at MetLife recently, and I'm still riding on the high from that OT is it win. Hockey, hockey season I right mean, now. What the fuck are you talking about, Patches? Patches. Hockey happens at, now. I, flames as, at the side of my <laughs> face. Uh, <laughs> let's let's provide some context here. Uh, the Rangers recently ended a 10-game winning streak, which tied the franchise record for the and it's a franchise that has almost existed for 100 years. Very impressive. It was a uh, it, had they won one more game, which they failed to do, it would have been their longest winning streak ever. But as it was, it was the longest winning streak of my lifetime. Um, and they lost to Columbus on Sunday, and they play Columbus again tomorrow. But the stadium series outside at MetLife Stadium, holy fucking shit, this game. This is the most exciting cinema I've seen all year. I mean, the Rangers <laughs> outside in front of 79,000 fans at uh, MetLife Stadium in ugh, New Jersey. Uh, the Rangers Ooh. were down two goals with four minutes left and they tied it up in regulation and then won 10 seconds into overtime because Artemi Panarin will not be stopped. It was incredible. It was one of the most exciting regular season games that I've ever seen the Rangers play. And why does uh, it feel so boring to hear about? I don't it's um, Patches, <laughs> Yes. I want to go back in time and prevent you from coming into this world. <laughs> God, just... <laughs> All right, we got two more, three more statements uh, from KP who wrote this email. Uh, Katie, you're a goddess among women. Cool. Happy that, National Women's Day national to you. Day. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Patches, Someone was honors. the snow really that bad? Uh, I think KP is referring to the fact that Patches missed an episode, and I believe we said it was snow related, but I imagine it was also children related. I don't even remember. Yeah, it was what like that, when was two that? weeks ago when there was no school and like you hadn't done the because like your kids were home. So you didn't do the catch up on whatever it was we were supposed to be talking about. Oh, you didn't watch one day. I'm guessing mm. life just collapsed another time in this long <laughs> road of parenting and professional juggling. No, I, I, I guess. that Yeah, the snow wasn't that bad, but uh, <laughs> my snowblower didn't start. And mm. that's that gets your that is bad. World down. Yeah. Uh, and the final line is also, could you all do a quiz, quiz, bang, bang episode again? Because those episodes are gold, warmly KP. Uh, we owe them an email. They, well, they are holding on to one that is me, Joanna Robinson and Gavin Edwards and a super Marvel fan all doing Marvel. You oh. do quiz, 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 quiz bang, 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 bang without also I did. Betrayed. I, li I also visited recently, them in real life I'm, these days. That's right. I'm closer than that's you right. are. Out there in Colorado. David and Annie, they're wonderful. And I've also did. recently got recently gotten a request from a listener to do another call in episode. Is it you? Are you the listener? We'll be there. No, it yeah. was friend of the show Andrew Corpin, uh, who I was zooming with, and he he said that he would love to listen to and perhaps call into another call in episode. And I said, "It's going to happen." Go you okay. heard it here first. David's organizing <laughs> a call in show. We'll <laughs> be <was> there <laughs> as guests. I was I was talking to Java about why maybe David doesn't talk about the fact that he's on this podcast. And I was like, imagine all the people that come at him on Twitter for his actual reviews, combing through some of the ridiculous shit he says on this podcast. True. Yeah, so, it's yeah, let's, one of let's my worst nightmares. 
Let's do a uh, college show. So, so one of the one of the silver linings of the show, the fact that the show has no listeners, is that uh, none of my haters are privy to any of the nonsense that comes out of my mouth here. The listeners um, are sh- are so mad at you, and they're going to become your haters for saying we have no listeners. Well, that's fine. I mean, I, if I'm growing my own haters here, that's one thing. But homegrown haters. Yeah. Our next email uh, is subjected Madam Webb and 2003. Hey, Fitwer gang, I have long been loath to send an email or review because I perversely enjoy hearing David talk about mobile games. <laughs> I've never played Galaxy of Heroes and enjoy trying to figure out how it works. And I do play Marvel Snap and enjoy the host's experiences with it. But if I'm going to send an email, I wanted to say that this great show that I eagerly anticipate every week. I'll say you're great, and I love hearing your thoughts on new movies and culture, and also your lives. The pandemic check-ins made a lot in terms of seeing you all as people, but also the solidarity with people who didn't decide everything was done in April 2021. Anyway, the reason I'm here is to share further confused thoughts on Madam Web's odd placement in 2003. Dave's insight on the shift from the 90s being based on a shift from being Andrew Garfield prequel to the Tom Holland prequel made sense in theory, but that would mean the Tom Holland Spider-Man was only 13 in Captain America Civil War, which seems too young, which I suspect happened as somebody at Sony noticed that the 2021 film Spider-Man No Way Home, as a plotline about graduating from high school, decided Peter Parker must be 18 in that movie and subtracted back to 2003. The problem with this is that while No Way Home was released in 2021, it can't be sent earlier than 2024 because of the five-year time Ugh. jump on Avengers Endgame. Oh, Jesus Christ. Because Peter was blipped in Infinity War, he has to have been at least 17 by the events of that movie, which put his birth somewhere around 2000-2001. I don't really have a point with all this except to point out the lazy shift in time period for the movie doesn't even make sense in the movie's own universe. Also, I think it's funny that we had several years of Marvel movies set in the future relative to our own universe, but nobody really wanted to acknowledge or have anything to do with that. Keep up the great work, Will. I mean, it is... He's right. We've said this before, I'm sure, but the fact that Marvel included a like earth-shattering event that happened to the world and... Whatever year, I guess 2019 is when it was supposed to have happened within the Marvel world. Like it, it didn't mm-hmm. predict the pandemic, but it built it into itself. And they kind of never really took advantage of that. Maybe they will. Maybe there's still time. There's like a hilarious title it? at the beginning you... of Spider-Man Homecoming that also sets the timeline wrong. But uh, go ahead. Yeah. What do you mean they didn't take? Advantage? Does it feel like they have really worked with the like resonance of the blip versus the pandemic and like made it feel, I feel uh, like there's relevant? There's been multiple bits in Marvel movies and shows about dealing with the ptsd of of the loss of yeah but does it feel like it speaks family? to this is me admitting how little of this i've actually seen so i can eat my words <laughs> but like i don't know my it, my impression had not been that they really like leaned into the real world connections and more just made it like their own thing yeah, they didn't even really lean into the fictional connections i mean they, they were like you know paid lip service to it from time to time and made jokes about it in one of those fucking spider-man movies but they they didn't ever sort of meaningfully because they don't trade in real emotions, but they didn't really meaningfully explore what it would be like for loved one or several loved ones or your entire family to cease to exist for five years. And then after all hope is lost, magically return. Um, yeah, they didn't really get into wasn't that. Hawkeye kind of about maybe like, that's the way to going on save. vacation. After I mean, I don't blip. like I watch fucking Hawkeye, like, do a, but maybe do a New York family Christmas. <laughs> Maybe this is the way to resurrect the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just like really probing intimate action free dramas about mm-hmm. grief. People fucking love grief. Yeah, they love it. So. Yeah, maybe it'll be a monster. I- I've seen like a uh, half dozen grief monster movies at this point. All right, this next mo- uh, email comes from somebody who doesn't want me to read their name, so we will abide by that. Hello, love the show. 
I just wanted to chime in with suggestion for an addition to the fitwear canon. Top Gun Maverick. Hmm. It's not simply the construction and consumption of a fruit chew shoe. We need to remember that in 2010, when the film was first announced, Hatches proclaimed on air that the film would never get made. He was so confident in his prediction that he stated if it ever did get made, he would, ma- he would eat my shoe. Then for the next 12 years, anytime there was a production or pre-production news, the rest of the Fitwear crew felt obligated to hold his feet to the fire, so to speak. Not only did the film get made and was a massive success and get discussed <laughs> often on the podcast, Patches dramatically held up his end of the bargain and paid off this dozen-year-long wager. The shoe-eating alone is reason enough to add it to the canon, but the 12-year through line is why I would like to nominate Top Gun Maverick to the Fighting in the War Room canon. Thank you for all you do. I mean, are we in charge of the fair. canon? Or, uh, <laughs> no, the I don't think we are. List maker decide. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Add I it think to we, that letter yeah. We'll see if it's we, added. We don't know. We should get a say, but I think that's a very compelling argument. I, um, I am curious why this person did not want us to read their name are they like running from the law is it it's a dark and dirty secrets <laughs> that they it's listen Tom. to the show like how ashamed they are they I, but they're they also said, I have a sh- bit like, of online phobia i'm happy okay. to have the email read on air if you'd I like see. but please do tom not cruise. read out that doesn't see. mean it's not tom cruise it actually significantly <laughs> makes it more likely than tom cruise but I, I kind of forgot we had some ownership of that like it, it was such a the, the video itself of the shoe eating was such a solo patches production but yes i would gladly take credit for keeping You're that you should have gotten points should have gotten points mm-hmm. didn't uh so that does it for our emails you can uh please leave us a review on the itunes podcast app or the apple podcast app as it's called uh that's where it helps the algorithm push us up on that app or you could email us whatever you want, at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. If a week happens where neither goes, uh, David will talk about mobile games. And probably the rest of us, but a lot of David. It's the Uh, Matt Patches, do you want to tell us about Curb Your Enthusiasm and how it's still oh. on? I hear it's still on. It's still on for a little bit. The year dun, that Curb Your Enthusiasm dun. premiered, like, what was in fashion? Oh. Who was president? Uh, that's a good question. Well, wow, I just looked it up. Running... Literally, well, Bill Clinton was president. Curb, Curb, wow. Curb has been running longer than Always Sunny. Not continuously in that way but i remember the always sunny guys on their podcasts in the beginning were saying curve was an inspiration and that show has been on for eons yeah uh multiple presidencies yeah there are there are not an overwhelming number of curb episodes because the seasons are so spread out and larry david basically has carte blanche to just make them whenever he feels like it there's 114 according to wikipedia which is actually yeah there there will be 120 when all is said and done but that doesn't it doesn't feel like an overwhelming number we we have talked about Curb on the stuff? show before, and I can't say that season twelve is so urgent that we need to like dig in to the the micro of it as David and I were talking about before on the podcast. It's it remains very pure, you know. Uh, Larry David is still doing his shtick, still bickering. Season, uh, episode one of this twelfth season opens with him just screaming at Siri for <laughs> maybe a minute or two straight. It's it's maybe one of the bigger meltdowns I've ever seen on the show, but still very angry and funny. Um, the reason I want to talk about Curb 
is because I think it's actually going to end this time. Obviously, there have been, hey, I don't know if I'll come back, but it's a, like, then years will go by and you don't know if Curb's coming back. And hey, Curb's coming back. Larry David's pretty old man now. He has said season 12 is the end. And I'm, I, I believe it because the show is setting up for a finale moment that I am finding hysterical, like in the off moments the he is teeing something up and David, maybe, maybe this is super apparent. We didn't discuss it before the podcast, but when I said that I had a fan theory about mm, this final and I season groaned, of Curb, much you like groaned I just did on because air. it is pure and we shouldn't be having fan theories about Curb, but I think Curb is doing a very good job of of setting this up, um, and it's probably very obvious to people who are sticking with it, but Curb is not just wrapping itself up, but Larry David is about to do the Seinfeld finale all over again. The notoriously awful... Yeah, because he's going to be he's going to be in he's jail going somewhere. to be put on trial, yeah. Yeah. and he is going to do what everyone absolutely hated from Seinfeld, you know, more than two decades ago, and I just find that <laughs> wasn't there a reference so to that in the amazing. yes in the most recent episode. So yeah, if you're not watching the the show this season, uh, Larry ends up in Atlanta in the very first episode when they're having a um an election and uh, gives somebody. It's actually uh the woman who who from the, from the Black family, I believe, right? That Leon, who is still living with him after Hurricane Katrina, you're talking about how long the show Katie has been going on. He references this season that Leon, played by J.B. Smoove, has been living in his house since Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> so almost um, 20 family, years. Yeah. Um, just squatting there. And um, so they go back to Atlanta and, and, and meet his aunt, his mom, and I can't quite remember, but she's in line for the uh, to vote. And Larry gives her a bottle of water in Atlanta that is illegal. And he gets arrested for giving a bottle of water. And he becomes a, a liberal martyr this season. Um, but he... <laughs> gets kind of guilt tripped into saying that he he's going to fight in court over this charge he was ready to accept it and leave and go home because he's a cranky guy and he doesn't want to be a martyr of anything but he's going to do that and he's going to wind up on trial and as david you said in this most recent episode he meets an old writer uh, from seinfeld uh and it comes up that Larry left Seinfeld at some point and came back to do the finale and he kind of groans and it's a very throwaway joke but David you can't deny me they're putting pieces out there for the it, it, fans they are is, they want me to theorize about Curb Patches I would be lying if I said that this thought has not occurred to me several times while watching the first few episodes of this season uh, and I certainly as plausible as anything else um I would not be surprised. I do want to point out that Curb Your Enthusiasm's first series was released on VHS, uh, a three-volume VHS <laughs> box set, and that in 2010, it was syndicated on uh, WGN and then taken off the wow. air due to low ratings because <laughs> basic cable viewers uh, do not care about Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, this is a show for the HBO elite, and we love it dearly. Uh God, this show is is like my my happy place on Sunday nights. It really just as soon as that song "Frolic" as it's called that I just learned on Wikipedia picks up, you know, I'm just I, I man, I'm just it is a headspace that viewer listeners of the show will understand why it resonates with me, <laughs> and uh, I definitely identify with Larry, except for he is unfathomably rich um, and has no compunction about complaining about things uh, in public society, whereas I. 
Uh, I'm not even fathomably rich. I'm not rich, rich at all. And uh, as much as I like to bitch and moan about just about everything under the sun on this podcast, I tend to be pretty, pretty <laughs> meek uh, in the real world and trying just to keep my head down and not bother anybody. So similarities between Larry and I uh, at a certain point, although we both have daughters, um, although the go. only difference between ours, I think, is that his are making movies. I just saw, I can't speak to it because it's embargoed, but I just saw... Oh yeah, his daughters. His daughter's directorial by, debut, which will be a South by Southwest. Former so, Vanity something. Fair intern, I believe. Um, oh yeah, well, the, the oh, Larry David, Cassie David. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She has a movie. No, yeah. she did. Uh, here, here's well, my here's on. my wind it down while still teeing it up, but still winding it down. Question, because uh, Dave, you mentioned your you were watching Seinfeld this week. Obviously, it's yeah. enormously popular. It's constantly being traded back and forth between streamers. Even though Seinfeld right. sucks as a person. Oh, okay. Uh, not the show. We're talking about. The I mean, show. the show. I right, much, right, much, much, much prefer Curb Your Enthusiasm to the show Seinfeld. But uh, well, this is kind of getting at my, yeah, my when comparing Larry here. David to Jerry Seinfeld. It's uh, even easier for comparison. No personality quits needed. Uh, my question is: Why do this? Why, like, can we take ourselves back? I was not a Seinfeld watcher in the moment, uh, David. I could imagine you probably were because you were just consuming everything i was Dave, not I don't know about you or katie I was not, uh, okay. none of us watch science dave you I watched, watched science oh, yeah. in the moment i was like yeah. i was like very aware of it it was always on okay. it was syndicated yeah. even back then yeah but uh i was Do you remember not watching the finale katie did you yeah, watch oh the yeah i remember like i was in eighth grade and it was like the event and everyone had a, a strong event. i remember the Inter- entertainment weekly did a ranking of all of the Seinfeld episodes like in print back when they did things like that and i remember like reading through that for the ones i hadn't seen i was like i need to know about this Anyway, and I was doing yeah. a video documentary of a dance my middle school was having. <laughs> of course, you and <laughs> didn't didn't use the interview with the class president because his entire thing was like, I kept telling them they couldn't have the dance tonight because it's the Seinfeld finale. But look, whoop de doo, no one's gonna show up because they're all gonna watch the Seinfeld finale. And that's how I remember where I was when the Seinfeld finale aired. <laughs> and I had to watch on tape. The, the Seinfeld finale notoriously bad well looking back at it i think it was exactly what it needed to be which was uh, uh, just get all the funny bits into the show send it off there's no good way to end the show about nothing i don't i don't know how people feel about it today looking back but why why is larry doing what what is this bit if he's really building up to uh, replicate the circumstance main character goes to court my guess is we get to just see everybody who's ever been on curb show up again in the court is like is this an, a, a tremendous joke or is this another well lame out the pun, wink, the punchline will like obviously there's no be, way to end curb either in the event that happens i imagine the punchline is that he fucks it up again somehow hmm. um, and and like that is sort of the ultimate cosmic irony of this and he ends up with him being as exasperated as always and there is no escape from uh <laughs> From the legacy of the Seinfeld finale, it only sort of underlines it. I mean, that's it's certainly not going to be like in the spirit of redeeming himself, uh, at least not openly, even though hopefully people enjoy this finale more than they did the Seinfeld one. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I also I think that like you ask, how do you end a show about nothing? I always felt like the Seinfeld finale should have been should have been elevated. I mean, like there's some shows where the final episode should be more of the same. I don't necessarily think Seinfeld is one of them. I think Seinfeld could only have ended by taking a hard left turn into the surreal. 
uh, and maybe all the characters dying in like a suicide pact. I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Zach, Travis, I'm glad yeah. you didn't do the write the finale of Seinfeld, but I, I, I totally get I, it. I wasn't like the primary writer, but I have a credit. And, and you don't feel like Curb is the same in that way. Is Curb on the wavelength of Seinfeld where it needs to go off the rails or does it have to end with Larry like alone back in no, his I think Curb mansion is, again? Curb is, it, it's like a constant sort of uh, Ouroboros, you know, for Larry David. I think it's sort of the opposite of Seinfeld in that sense where it's the dark um, tower. Ev- yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> we have to go to the tower. Hashtag, you know, at Idris Elba. Elba. Um, you need, <laughs> do you want the tower? Um, but hey, I think like this is a show that absolutely needs to end uh, as it will, you know, with the same music cue um, that all of these episodes end and begin. I mean, it's sort of a constant circle. They end and begin on the same notes. Uh, and it will certainly end with egg on Larry David's face. And uh, we'll never get another one. That will be very sad. Maybe literally a lot of egg in this season. If you're a fan mm. of eggs. I think you do a final episode, but then the final shot's just his grave with the music playing over it. Like, I think that's all you need to do. Is just be dies. like, and then, and then he went all the way till he died, and then we don't have to actually make him go all the way till he dies. I have thought that maybe maybe he will die just so the character can never get back, and no one can ask if there will be future seasons of Curb. But then again, would it stop him? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Curb, it's on on right now. You should really watch Curb if you've never caught up with it. Now is the time. So you funny. Troy Kotzer is doing yes. is, is like doing even better work here than he did in Coda. Uh, it's so good. It good. <laughs> Show's so good. Uh, love me, Curb. mom was sending me clips of the uh uh the fucking sag awards last night because she was watching them on netflix and thought they were live Mm -hmm. but they're just on netflix but they They did air them live live. on netflix yes uh (laughs) is there a question of that (laughs) are we and and the topic of this mini segment is 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 dave's mom okay (laughs) because watching the sag awards on purpose i mean she is moving today so uh, you know she's she's allowed to she's allowed to time shift a little bit but this seems like a different thing because usually with awards shows i have to uh wait until the things are streamable usually on youtube usually clips Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes twitter uh, because I cord cut like a while ago, but now we're just having whole ass award shows uh, on Netflix. Um, yeah. Why do you think is it is this Netflix's next live broadcasting step now that they've fucked up enough after shows or what I, have you? Or uh, I think maybe it would have been, but I'm now like given the upheaval at Netflix film, I think that Netflix's commitment to award season in general may be reducing. Um, so I don't know. Mm. Although I think that the SAG Awards did reasonably well for them. It's been in their like top ten, whatever that means. But Katie, wouldn't it be so funny if they, after all years of chasing and failing to win a Best Picture Oscar, just threw in the towel and were like, fuck it, we'll just host the Oscars? Mm-hmm. It would be <laughs> extremely funny. Any of these things were possible. Um, the SAG Awards are not the Oscars. They're an award show that have only been around since the mid-90s. A lot of people don't know that they exist. And they used to air on TNT. And at some point, um, TNT right. or I guess Warner owns TNT? 
who owns TNT? Yeah, Warner. Yeah. Uh, at some point, they were like, we don't want to renew the contract for this. Um, and so Netflix. They're like, why don't we just play ep- uh, reruns of Suits? Uh, probably. Um, yeah, it probably costs less. And Netflix is like, beat you there, too. Uh, I think <laughs> I think the market for award shows is reducing among people who are not freaks like me who want to watch endless ones of these. And Netflix, probably for not that much money, was like, oh, we can promote our live capabilities. It's very funny that they picked the, picked up the SAG Awards last year, but they weren't set up for the live stream yet. So the SAG Awards aired on Netflix's YouTube channel last year. Which was bizarre. Mm. Um, this year it was on sort proper of like Netflix, the, uh, like the Independent Spirit Awards, which you can watch, which were like aired on uh, IMDb's YouTube page. Yeah. You could see that only nine hundred people were watching them it's at the same time. It's not, not a great sign of uh, media in general that uh, there's no one who wants to promote these things. Again, award shows are not for everybody. But shows like the Indie Spirits and SAG Awards mean a lot to the people who are in the Oscar campaign. They uh, both took place over Oscar voting weekend. They gave a big jolt of visibility among the, you know, 9,000 people who vote for the Oscars. Let's be honest, probably a smaller group of people than that. So it's worth the talent to go to the SAG Awards. And then Netflix pays, again, I don't think a ton of money to be able to host it on there. And then get people like Dave's mom to watch it for a week after that and make themselves look prestigious. I think it's a decent deal for everybody. They aired on Saturday, which just sucked like that. There's not really an excuse for that. I think it just got all kind of crammed together. So hopefully they figured that out. But I mean, I've said for years. Was, was that this was that this weekend, the same weekend as the PGA yeah. Awards and yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah, it all, Independence it all Awards? Jesus Christ. I know. Is that you why you cut had an entire Saturday season of the bear together just from B-roll <laughs> of the cast members at award shows this season? Pretty much. What'd you say, Patches? Uh, did it have to air on Saturday because of the Independent Spirit Awards? I assume like so. I thought the Independent Spirit Awards also took place on Oscar They used to be on Oscar weekend. weekend and then they moved. And then I think the SAG Awards moved to late February where they had not been before because they realized it could air during Oscar voting Award weekend. Award season needs to get its shit together I mean, if we're going to pay attention things are, to are changing around. Um, but I don't think that everyone has to watch the SAG Awards. I think they're pretty fun. The, the uh, secret is that the SAG Awards are only two hours long. They're very short by award show standards. They only award actors. So you kind of get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of uh, famous people that you want to see. Um, the bits are very short. There's not really a host. It's pretty uh, low key. Um, Someone texted me that Tan France of Queer Eye was doing cringe interviews with people. Can you confirm or deny He was that? doing like fine interviews with people. It was a real mixed bag. They didn't have commercials because they're on Netflix. So it was just Tan France backstage being like, hey, Pedro Pascal, you won the SAG Award, which was great also by the way it was very exciting to watch Pedro Pascal win an award he fully expected to lose to someone from succession as he did at all the other <laughs> award shows and he had this like kind of so I drank. Head, yeah. it, was, he, it was I can't remember the last time I so genuinely believed that someone <laughs> was, was surprised, was surprised and to drunk. be up there yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he's backstage, backstage kind of rambling with Tan France um so you know there it was a mixed bag but you know Tan France knows what he's doing so better him than me in that position uh, but it was a chance for people in the room to get up and go to the bathroom and you could like, you know, stand up and walk around. I was watching from my parents' house and my cousin walked in the door halfway through and I was like, sorry, you have to watch the SAG Awards with me. So it was very fun watching it with someone who like doesn't understand any of this stuff and was throwing out his predictions. So, you know, if you're like in a house of people and you can throw on an award show, you can throw on the SAG Awards on Netflix right now. Who knows what you might find in it? I like it. I like that. I mean, I, yeah, I was saying before, as I've said for years, like, let the Oscars run on Netflix. Let them be six hours long. Let them stop having to fret about this whole ABC contract. I don't know if that'll ever happen. The Oscars are big in a way. The SAG Awards just aren't. Um, but You think hmm. Netflix would make the Oscars better? I mean, better to Do you think the Oscars who? would be better 
Better to, to who? To me, to where us, I'm like, the viewers. I'm like, leave yeah. all the awards on the show and let people do montages and well, make them they? silly. I don't I know. Mean, based I have no on idea. What they're doing with the SAG Awards and like Tan France and all the other like. No, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I think the ABC contract hampers the Oscars in a way that I find frustrating. Where there's gotten gotten to this point where there's this like, we're gonna go as fast as we can. We're so sorry that we're taking up all your time. We're the Oscars, but like we know that you don't really want to watch it, and I'd rather them ditch that. And I think the the freaking out over ratings leads to that. Like the Oscars are just not going to be your ratings juggernaut again. It's not going to happen. Um, so whatever lets them away from that pressure, I would support. And it might be I ABC mean, getting it together and just putting it on Hulu, which is what they should do. This year's Oscar ratings will be very telling yeah. because you know the, the, there are so many enormously popular films that are in the Best Picture race, yeah. and Oppenheimer's going to win, and it was a made a billion dollars. Uh, and it will be a real sort of put up or shut up moment for that argument that the Oscars need to cater more to blockbuster films and then maybe the industry should instead just be making more Oscar worthy films of a certain size. But yeah. It needs we'll to be see. making more stand up and cheer moments. Mm, mm-hmm. We need to be honoring those. The Flash needs to this enter more missing. speed forces. Yes. It, more speed forces. People force. are saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is one year. New, new Oscar category is best Netflix shit. <laughs> I mean, if like Netflix could have their own award shows, which would be like dumb and self-serving, but I would probably watch anyway. Um, I hope that I hope that people realize the joys of an award show, however they encounter it, and um, maybe we can help just keep the format alive, which is something that I can we, worry about. Can we do a very quick sidebar about? The fact that there is going to be a new category at the Oscars yeah, in two years. Uh, yeah. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, they're, they're doing yeah, a casting uh, Oscar. And I have no, to say, in, um, no, in, for, uh, the film, for the films of 2025, so it'll be the 2026 oh, wow. Oscars. I did not. Yeah. Know I have to say, I think it's a big mistake. Um, I think that <laughs> I think that you know, obviously, casting directors do utterly invaluable work. I think that they deserve a category at the Oscars. I think the mistake is to have this be the next category that's introduced before stunts. I think if you're talking about, because also the, the overlap between, I don't, I don't trust the Academy votership to be able to parse the difference between the films they like and the best cast films, the films with the best actors and whatnot. I mean, right. I think Oppenheimer would walk away with it this year, just like everything everywhere all at once did last well, year. Well, SAG has an ensemble performance, and how often does that like drastically you know, divert from what the winners of the of the individual actor. It does. Uh, so I got ensemble category kind of goes in some weird directions sometimes like hidden figures one in 2017, which I thought was okay. pretty fun. Honestly, here's my argument against that, David. So the cast, Wait, on. Okay. I, mean, I, I didn't finish okay. My, okay. my point, which is just that like, I, you know, I want casting re- directors to be recognized. Um, I'm all for adding the category to the Oscars in theory, but I think that if you want to have a more dynamic appreciation for all the various, um, crafts and arts that go into making a film and also to bring in new viewers and a different kind of movie into the conversation. It boggles my mind why they did not make an effort to introduce stunts first. Oh, um, especially when that's part of SAG uh, awards as well. Like, yeah, it or the precedents exist. I think stunts could happen. I don't think stunts have uh, a branch in the Academy, if I'm not mistaken. I think cast and cast directors uh-huh. have. Uh, so they've had sure, more yeah, ability but... to lobby from within the organization for a longer time. I think they have been lobbying for longer. Um, but no, I think a stunts Oscar would be a great idea. My argument against casting being a default ensemble thing is that casting directors or the casting branch will determine the nominees. And casting directors watch everything. That is their job. They watch absolutely everything so they can find Timothy Chalamet and Miss Stevens and turn him into a star. I think they will pick really good nominees. I think you could get the casting Oscar with some really 
interesting picks. And then the broader Academy will vote on it and maybe Oppenheimer just wins by default if they did it this year. Um, but I will be very excited to see what the casting directors come up with. Uh, yeah, I mean, I am not worried about, you know, as in all categories, I mean, the people in the branch vote on the nominees. So I, I am not worried about what the casting directors are going to nominate. Um, I am curious, as you just said, like you are, to see how closely their nominations align with the Best Picture field. But I am very skeptical of the greater voting body's ability to uh, to determine what good casting is, uh, just as I don't trust them to know what good editing is. And the uh, same is true of critics um, and uh, yeah, a lot of other categories like that. So I, I, I feel like this is a I, I appreciate the intention and I think in the long run, a positive step. But I think there are more urgent issues that they should have addressed. And this is not going to help anyone in the short term. But we'll see. It's going to help casting directors in the short term. But yes, I understand <sighs> what you're saying. Yeah. year was 1999 david's doing it we were all Keep going. wildly pubescent wildly this movie came along at a very opportune moment in my life and when i was on vacation with my family in utah in park city no less mm. i snuck away one afternoon wait let me do the sound effect a local Boing! <laughs> yes, uh, I was surrounded by Mormons in a uh, small multiplex in Utah. I had a raging erection for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> the film Schindler's List. No, cool intention. <laughs> We're going to talk about intentions. it. Yeah, it we is the 25th it. anniversary of Cruel Intentions. I had never seen this movie. I'm oh, ready wow. to do it. Interesting. Wow. I, I have wow. never seen this movie. I've seen a lot of clips. I've seen important is, clips. Is this because you're yeah. a less dangerous liaisons? Purist? Yeah, I'm a purist. I only read the original text in uh, French. In French, in the original French. I had never seen this movie. I was 13, I guess, when this came out. So I would have been you were... just too young, probably, to go see this on my own. Yeah, right? but like you, it, didn't, like you didn't like find a way to get it from. It has to be rated R. I didn't. I didn't run with a crowd that would have found a way. Ah, a bunch of nerds is what you're saying. I did not have mm. a bad influence who was like, "Let's see the sexy time movie," and then I don't know, lost track of it. Wasn't part of. Uh, did not have to go back. Didn't hear about it enough, and it was kind of reviled at the time. I was going down the Rotten Tomatoes rabbit hole a little on uh, on the movie before the podcast, and not hard to imagine that uh, a teen sex drama starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Felipe, Reese Witherspoon, Thelma Blair, not praised by critics at the time, but um, maybe maybe during the 10th anniversary, 15th, 20th or something, a whole bunch of people, modern critics, have reviewed this film, or at least put their shit on Rotten Tomatoes for it, and it's, it's newly embraced. Like, I think it has cult status i guess we could say it's just appreciated more by the people who were there and maybe nostalgic for it so i'm very interested to talk about this movie today because i i'm not sure i i'm not sure i'm ready to reclaim this as like an overlooked 
your gem of of a movie. Mm. I'm kind of curious where we're all going to stand on Cruel Intentions. Is it like cult, underappreciated, actually great, or is it did it deserve to be reviled? Is it is it a bad, campy, hate watch kind of movie, or is it somehow in between and doing what it it's doing, which is very high drama, very sexy, <laughs> uh, softcore. I mean, the biggest stuff. difference between watching Cruel Intentions as an adult and watching Cruel Intentions when it came out in 1999 is in 1999, I was like, yes, these characters make sense to me. Even when I go to high school and college, I don't really care about my education. What I'm thinking about is who could I have sex with? And now as an adult, I go back and watch it and I'm like, I'm glad this exists as a period of time where I as a teenager saw a movie that was as horny as I was all the time. <laughs> Uh, and realize that's why I sort of clicked into it. But in terms of how it's going to be regarded by people moving forward, uh, this is, you know, to very vaguely go from casting directors to casting directors, this just has the right cast for a bad enough, like a good enough movie. Uh, I won't say bad enough. Uh, I just think it's very shaky and uh, leans so far into the horniness of its main character is that it very frequently gets ridiculous. And then, you know, says things that it probably doesn't uh, mean to say. So, like, at the end of the movie, I was rewatching it with Java um, when uh, Ryan Felipe's... Uh, are we, we're talking about the full plot of Cruel Intentions. Yeah, Cruel Intentions. Yeah, we're, we're, yes. we're spoiling Cruel okay. Intentions. It's like a spoiler alert about what happens at the end of the book of Genesis. You know, I mean, come on. This is, uh, <laughs> at least tee it up with, your, with the plot so you're not getting straight to the end of case your people are like me and have never... Ever. Yeah, so there are um, stepbrothers, Catherine and Sebastian, they play sex games with Reese Witherspoons. It's Annette the prototype for every porn Cecile. scene made in the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and then you have a whole bunch of uh, different people who get uh, ensnared in their web of uh, crazy sex games that are seemingly done to either actively hurt people or just entertain themselves, but by the end of the movie, Reese Witherspoons and that has changed the mind of Sebastian Valmont, uh, who has realized that uh, he's sort of wasted his life and almost or uh, basically did throw away his first chance at love uh, with uh, Reese Witherspoon's character. So he tries to get her back and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's Catherine uh, very loosely organizes a uh, showdown uh, in the middle of a street off of Central Park where uh, Sebastian is pushed, uh, or no, I'm sorry, and that is pushed into traffic, and to rescue her, Sebastian pushes her out of the way and dies in a traffic accident, which, if you've been counting, makes uh, three in a row for Fighting at the War Room car crash cinema. We went from one day to Madam Web to here. <laughs> wow. Who knew? Uh, but we were talking about uh, one of the... The, the character that he is fighting with is Sean Pastor Thomas's Ronald, who has been tricked into jealousy. Uh, but like after that scene, Java's like, oh, wow, that black dude caught a manslaughter charge. Huh? And I'm like, oh, fuck. yeah, that part. I've, I have gotten older. Oh, that part, like, because earlier in the movie, when um, uh, Christine Baranski is being like weird and racist to him and she says, we gave money to Colin Powell, which was genuinely funny. Um, it seems aware yes. of like what it would be like for a black guy to kind of be in this uh, white Upper East Side world. And then uh, at the end of the movie, just kind of forgets that <laughs> to, get to set up yeah. a big confrontation. I don't think at the that end. racial politics were top of no, mind. No, I do uh, not think so either. No. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, Roger Cumble, the director, is... I, I really hate to project anything onto filmmakers based on their art. I mean, the, the business can ensnare you in having to make a certain kind of thing, such as Cruel Intentions 2, which he also directed. Mm. Um, but uh, based on the movies he made after this, Guy was giving me real pervert vibes. Mm, I mean... <laughs> this is, uh, I, that seems to what? me his one and only interest. I, wait, wait what, what movie is coming to mind here? What, Just Friends is a, is a funny movie? That Ryan Reynolds movie? Uh, he did do Just Friends. I mean, Cruel Intentions 2 is, is as... Uh, is as pervy as a movie. I mean, like, really, there's no other redeeming value there uh, beyond um, beyond just, like, you know, young flesh uh, and <laughs> trying to have its cake and eat it, too. But then he went did Furry Vengeance, College Road Trip. I mean, well, then, you know, I, I think, think, I think Furry for me, Vengeance it was just is that, horny like, unless his... the uh, the animals, uh, Brendan Fraser's animal co-stars were horned for <laughs> For him. me, I, I think for, with Roger Cumble, it was always that his horniness, like, so greatly outstripped his faculty like behind the camera um and it, it just it just sort of amplified his horniness uh the contrast between how competent of a director he was although i think this is a well-directed movie cruel intentions he really seemed to have everything in balance i remember the um selma blair and Samuel michelle geller kiss obviously i think everyone who was alive in 1999 remembers it i, I hadn't seen the film and i remember yeah it. but i i um, forgot yeah. that it just zooms it on their mouth so closely it's as if the camera is a Katie. teenage boy watching them as mm-hmm. as if you have not seen two to three hundred times uh, not another teenage movie. Oh, not another teenage movie. Yeah, rather, in, in which, which the, parodies this. Yeah, in which there's like a long uh, string of spit. Uh, yeah, I remember that one also. Yeah, with Mia Kirshner making out with an old lady. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I remember that cinema. one as well. Um, yeah, I do think it's well directed. Like, I have, I'm interested in the performances and where we land in all of those. But like, there's just some good <laughs> lines. Like, Susie Kurtz and Christine Baranski know what they're doing. Someone Blair really lands like a lot of her lines. Like, there's good comic timing in the parts where it gets funny and then it gets kind of nuts by the end of it. But like, that's where the story was going to go. I will say I, when I saw this movie, I mean, Dave was talking a little bit about some of the the greater themes of the picture. Um, And, you know, perhaps it's easy to appreciate now that we are not all in a constant state of heat uh, watching (laughs) this. But I think, uh, you know, when I saw this movie, there was no part of my mind uh, that was trying to justify the experience by thinking of it as sort of like a, a social commentary uh, in any way. I was just like, even at 14, I was like, the thrown up hot people on screen, I saw them on the TV, and now they're allowed to swear and make sex faces at each other. Um, and uh, this might be I'm why I moved to New York. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I mean, like, but like, I was completely aware, even at the moment, that like the movie was just working on the most primitive level. And that was its only aspiration. I knew that it had a sort of slightly more sophisticated lineage. Um, but that part of making it or horny 14-year-old teenage boys was abandoning that lineage. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't think uh, there's any lesson to teach the young horny no. kids who watch this movie, right? This is the the source material is an excuse to I, I would imagine this movie kind of is riding a wave of Romeo and Juliet, the Boz Lerman. Romeo movie. plus well, it's Juliet. Also, I, I didn't know if I should go there. It's uh, also uh, riding the general teen wave. Like, I was just like looking, like, this is the year of She's All it is, Bad. It's the year of 10 Things I Hate About yeah, You. But none of these movies are this horny. No, no, none of none these of movies are, and then none of these movies are going back to, well, I guess there's a bit of Shakespeare adaptation streak as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. With the teen stuff. But like, Romeo plus Juliet is. Is 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 vibrant. It's sensual. Like we really feel the. That's romance. This is not romance. This is sex. And I don't think there's any 
comparable teen movie of this era or almost well, any era that's like it's because we couldn't this horny I mean, and this sexy and and just wants to take the the kind of over the top flamboyant drama of of old fashioned source material and and try and put it in the mouths of these characters like you're saying all these fun lines in the movie they're totally out of place like who cares what they're saying it's really just letting well, sarah michelle geller be the the sex pot here and just just chew on scenery it's amazing but i mean not to belabor an argument that that everyone sort of understands self-evident but like you know there was not another opportunity back then for younger teenagers to see sex in like a safe and controlled environment you know with something they go with their friends and it would be titillating but um you know it wouldn't be a porn theater uh and or there wouldn't be porn on the internet like which was very accessible no that's what i'm saying i mean like we like kids today this this wouldn't have anywhere near the same value for them because it would be a a lot tamer than anything they could see just by pulling out their phones but um i mean it felt it felt risque to me at 14 i mean it felt slightly scandalous i mean i wasn't i was there you know for my family they didn't give a shit i was there with my parents full blessing we were just like you know, I think my they parents said, David, probably don't cream your jeans. No, <laughs> yeah. boy. Um, what well, also gives you, I mean, uh, <laughs> because it's supposedly teenagers, it's like being like, oh, is there like, in New York City, are teenagers like so sexually brazen that they do things like this? And like the answer is no, like no teenager has ever behaved like any of the people in this movie well, behave, Ryan except Phillip maybe someone like me to NYU. This movie. They lured me to watch Gossip Girl. I keep falling for the <laughs> shtick. Where are the hypersexualized New York NYU rich teenagers? <laughs> This was not my way. Although uh, Ryan Felipe walking around on a bright sunny day in New York with all black on and his long black mm. coat, uh, that yeah. was me. Uh, but other other than that, not the not the sexual games, unfortunately. But it was or like, maybe fortunately, you know, who knows? Are you several seasons behind Buffy the Vampire Slayer and feel like it's too late to get on that train? But also find Sarah Michelle Gellar incredibly attractive. Here you go. <laughs> this yeah, was, this was marketed directly to me. Um, I, and, I can't uh, tell. I can't tell if she's good in this. Uh, she's great in this. Uh, I mean, you think can so? you imagine she's a better. Good. She's pretty good in this. Yeah. How can you? I mean, what is what in your mind could be a better version of this performance? Like, I it 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 as written it, it in the tone of this movie, which she completely understands. She does completely understand. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how someone could do a better job of this. I think Ryan Philippe is by yeah. far the weaker link of the two of them. I don't. I think they're all pretty good. I mean, he's playing a different type of character he's supposed to be this kind of like sad emo boy that everyone falls for right like he, he's still playing an archetype he's not playing the e true evil twin of sarah michelle geller's character they they spar but he's playing a different heartthrob archetype almost trying to do the leo thing but scummier I think the flaw of his performance is that even when he begins falling for Reese Witherspoon, it still feels kind of inauthentic and wooden. Yeah, and even though and they were the, in the, real life together, which no is sense. so crazy. Yeah. They have no chemistry on well, screen no whatsoever. You were talking to someone who recently watched Geely, so, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a film that launched one of our greatest couples. Uh, and I would say they actually, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, do have uh, quite palpable chemistry in that movie, even if the movie fails them at every turn. But um, yeah, recent Ryan, well, it's this one, it's uh, so it's, it's rough uh, going. Yeah, no, he he just he it, he still feels like he's being sociopathic when he is yes. earnestly professing his love for her. Yep, and that's a problem. Yep, but, but maybe uh, that's the point. Like you could imagine him being so lost in his own sociopathic behavior that he thinks he's being romantic and can't and like. Sure. He must die at the end of this movie. Like he has Boy. no feelings left. Um, yeah. 
So it might the make biggest... sense, but like the the stretch where he's pretending to be romantic with her or not pretending, he says he loves her, but like that's the worst part of the movie, uh, by far. Like get back to mm. backstabbing and sex with each other, all of those things. Much better. If he didn't die, we wouldn't have the fantastic conclusion, which was he journaled all his poor behavior but in a way that makes everybody like him at the end. <laughs> and Reese gets to uh, drive away like, wearing his sunglasses. He only revenge porned three to four times, but he's <laughs> yeah, totally I, redeemed by publishing oh, yeah. his diary. <laughs> I, I know how this story actually ends, which is if he lived, he would have to delete his internet presence in the mid-2000s <laughs> as people started figuring out who the fuck he yep. was. But uh, yeah. But I do think that like, you know, yes, this movie brought stars from whatever it was called back then. It was not, it was, this was, CW, the WB. Was, uh, WB network. The WB. The network, WB. Um, you know, it brought them into a different context, and that was exciting for people my age. But I also think that it's because of how this movie was stylized, because of its soundtrack, um, all of this the various elements sort of fizzing together, that it popped the way that it did and sort of burned its burned its way into our brains. I mean, like, yes, I have an encyclopedic memory of the various. Uh, I don't even say sex scenes in this movie, but like the the more lurid scenes where sex is used as a weapon it's a against lot of someone. Touching um, right, movie. but like the the scenes, are like because like there is nothing at all. I think titillating about the bone ass dumb scene where Selma Blair is given a kiss down there, and it's like she's like, "What's happening?" <laughs> and even at fourteen, I was and like, suddenly, "This is so like, fucking stupid." She's so um, innocent. But, then that happens. Yeah. Then two scenes later, she's like, right. "I will blow you. I will and have sex coded, on top of you. I will do right. anything to do and that." And she's again. coded to be like twelve years old. And even when I was fourteen, I was like, "This is not it." Uh, but the, um, but the, you know, wait, 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 hold on. She's not actually supposed to be really young. No, right? but she's but she is definitely in that scene. Tough. She is playing. I was trying to think of like what's the best. She's playing. Um, um, what's a character from 30 Rock like baby doll? Oh, I'm a or... very sexy baby. <laughs> I'm a very, yeah, that's very a, sexy she's baby. like all of a sudden doing a Kristen Wig bit where she is <laughs> playing a five year old. It's a very strange scene. And that's but, the mean, one we... where she, they go down on her. My God. Yeah. So like those those scenes have stuck in my memory. But really, I mean, the, the most iconic bit from this movie, which, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, in the pa- Tumblr pantheon for so many years is the scene where Counting Crows colorblind plays when uh, Reese Witherspoon is going up the escalator and Ryan Felipe is waiting for her at the top and it's all coated in blue and red and uh, and that's the moment where... And then there's a... I mean, I can see this movie. I did not rewatch it for the purpose of this episode, but there's no need. I can close my eyes and see it <laughs> on the back of my eyelids. I know the exact shot that it cuts to and like the way that they made sure to light Reese Witherspoon's breasts in the shot as she's laying down on the bed for like you know maximum titillation pun intended without any sort of yeah, she's not wearing but like a bra with a hint of sensuality so sure. this is like a serious this is he's changing you know he now doesn't just care about seducing her he wants to, you know he's now more focusing on on uh, softness and yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um sweatily uh, and gently yeah. but these these are the things i think that allow this movie to sort of become more than the sum of its uh, horny parts is this something any is of it? you have revisited? Like, I've rewatched Can't Hardly Wait and, like, 10 Things I Hate About You and stuff like that, but I have not revisited this movie at all since 1999. You didn't watch this mm. one with your kids? Oh, yeah. No, we're going to, I'm going to show them how it's gonna, they're going to behave or how we all behave. Well, yeah, be like, this is what it was like I in studied, the late 90s, guys. 
I studied this movie more than I did my half Torah for my bar mitzvah. I mean, like, I, I watched this movie so many times. This is one of, like, the first three DVDs I owned, I think, along with The Matrix and something else. Um, and I, you know, don't remember often popping the DVD in, but it was also a cable classic. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, it, I think I would be too blinded by nostalgia if I watched it now to have any sort of You're saying you didn't watch it for this podcast, quality? which is what the rest of us did? No. Oh, I he said I said that explicitly yeah, about it. ninety seconds ago. Uh, but the, uh, Katie was Katie was thinking about scenes. I was thinking about Brian Fulbay. Yeah, thinking about Joshua Jackson being like, "Oh, it's not that homophobic." What do you think of the guys like, in the movie? Homophobic. Uh, Are the guys? No, this is the problem. I think that like I saw Cruel Intentions. I think everyone else I know did, but I don't think it lingered in the brains of straight girls or maybe all girls it's it's so focused on being like how hot and terrifying sarah michelle geller is or like how much you'd want to like sleep with reese witherspoon right i mean ryan philip page just never really did it for me under any circumstances i mean reese witherspoon never really did it for me in this movie either I mean, I she's, say, but she's kind really of, she's sarah michelle geller like oh. listen this is listen to each their own i mean i don't begrudge anyone else their taste i'm just saying for me personally sarah michelle geller was sort of the alpha and omega of my uh interest in this film yeah Imagine seeing this and being like, uh, you know, uh, Reese Witherspoon's cute. And then seeing election and being like, for some reason, this is hotter <laughs> because that was a month. That was a month was. later, like a month and a half yeah. later. Uh, yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't think that, uh, the guys really, uh, get Josh to be Jackson's seductive. Uh, so, I mean, sh- I forgot Jackson's Josh Jackson was in this entirely tips. and truly he showed up and I was like, Oh, like a, a gay character from this period where he's like, not really being like, um, like just I mean, I guess he's kind of a sidekick, but it seemed like reasonably up to date. And then like he gets in on the blackmailing and I was like, oh, OK, yeah. The homophobia is running pretty strong in this one after all. There's a lot to hope for from from 1999 for there not to be. Any Patrick Thomas is a handsome man who I didn't realize was doing like tons of TV. He's on Gen V. Uh, most mm. recently. I totally forgot that that was him. And uh, he's a very handsome. He man, is a very though, handsome again. man. Yeah, it's true. You can see to, him in his boxers. Doesn't doesn't get get to do a in the movie. Sure. But glad he's in it um any manslaughter somebody he does a manslaughter that's uh, just a tiny yeah i mean i think maybe part of the reason that the selma blair and selma show geller kiss was so famous i mean obviously like boys love seeing girls make out but like it's like sensual in a way most of the rest of the movie is it like almost all the other sex in the movie is kind of vague or like threatening but that one is just like oh this is something that somebody could actually enjoy and maybe that's like the one thing that would stick out from that for everybody mm. that i knew that i can remember it was just so that, like, I'm... Sarah Michelle Gellar's character is a sex monster, and that was so... Appealing. appealing. You were just like, please, <laughs> let me be a sex monster. Yeah, I mean, so I'm a woman like... who likes sex, Sebastian. Why, why should I be demonized? It, it wasn't just that, like, she was attractive. It was just that, like, how, you know, fluent she was in her own sexual power. And, uh, she's barking, uh, you know, like, I want sex. I yeah. want yeah. sex now. And, and I no was one like, you yes. knew yes. was, was like, I could provide <laughs> yeah. it. I could do but, that. I mean, like, I never met a single teenager who was like that. I don't know if any of you did. Like, that... That is not no, how anyone was in real life. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> I, I did not see this movie and go back to my high school with like a different pair of eyes. I was like, now this is what the real, like, my life is going to be like. I just hadn't seen it before. No, I mean, it's clearly the stuff of fantasy. It's not like someone would move to New York just in the delusion that this would be a life that they could participate yeah, in. Yeah, that would be dumb. That would, <laughs> only dumb people would do that. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, I, I do remember very specifically at like the end of this, like 40% of my mind being like, 
are all the girls kissing each other <laughs> uh, just in places I don't see? Like, is this happening? I, ju- I think uh, that, yes, it ha- did happen, did not happen in my experience. But this is like how no one's ever offered me cocaine. Like, I think like these things are happening that right under my nose, and I don't know about them. Actually, that is another thing that's contributed to me. I knew how to pick out Coke jewelry <laughs> thanks to this. <laughs> Like yeah, uh, anytime you know, I see a people are like, what's it? Why like... does it have all <laughs> the scene <laughs> at the end of the movie there. is so funny when she gets caught and then the uh um, Sweet Symphony? Like the pastor, I guess, comes out and grabs I her. I think that's her dad. I don't think it's her dad. I think it's okay. I think it's Reese Witherspoon's dad who oh, is now or the headmaster. Right. He's the headmaster now. He the comes headmaster. out and and takes her her coke jewelry. Shakes out all the evidence. It, and then he just slowly shakes his head. He's like, no, we don't do that here. I'm disappointed in you for doing coke in the bathroom during your brother's funeral. I do like I mean, this movie for the fact that it has no law outside of the I, law. I that's have to say, in defense, in defense of um, of uh, Catherine. Cocaine? Mer- Mer- oh. and, and cocaine. I mean, doing cocaine during a loved one's funeral seems like as viable a time as any to do cocaine. It doesn't seem like a particularly sacrilegious time to do it. That, I think uh, that, you know... This, uh, it's her cocaine a habit that disappoints the headmaster. Mm. Right, right, right. Well, uh, do yeah. you think uh, that sh- she's so rich that she's fine in the end? Like, what happens to Catherine after the credits and of this movie literally she has never occurred to me to wonder to wonder <laughs> that we will never know because on october 31st 2015 they canceled the sequel series for cruel oh, intentions that was going to follow sarah michelle geller's character wow so we'll never know but she was gonna be in it Yes, she wow. had signed in to reprise her role uh, for NBC in a Cruel Intentions pilot in 2015. And uh, on Halloween, uh, they passed on it and nobody picked it up. But don't fear, Cruel Intentions fans. Uh, apparently, uh, Amazon Freebie is currently trying to reboot Cruel Intentions as a TV series. Wow, the uh, and there's no one I trust like Free writing writing high <laughs> off of Jury Duty. You know, yeah, I got that cash that's that yeah. around. I mean, I so what I'm hearing is classic. If you were a teenager in 1999, maybe doesn't play well with uh, teens right now, and maybe didn't play well with straight women. Why uh, doesn't it play well with teens right now? wonder what uh, I, I would bet it ages way better than like she's all that discourse? i would bet american pie ages way worse than this american pie a movie i also hold near dear to my heart does not age yeah well. no, I, because cr- cruel intentions seven. is less broy and I, don't, I haven't thought this through it, it feels less kind of mired in the worst sexual politics of that era than some other stuff yeah ryan felipe doesn't commit rape <laughs> in this movie <laughs> <laughs> that is that's he chooses very, not very to. true. Um, I actually think I, in yeah. all the sex scene discourse that is constant from the well, Gen Z constantly blamed for having sex scene discourse and being too prudish for actual nudity and actual sexuality on screen. I think they'd approve of this of this movie because there's no actual sex scene. There's no gratuitous well, nudity. It's all suggestion. It's all touching. It's all one feels. way to find out. And that is to Google Letterbox, 
cruel intentions. And <laughs> see, oh, uh, see what people see what have to say. Yeah. Let's see. Um, well, reviews from friends is not going to be particularly helpful. Uh, Ella Kemp, one of my favorite people on this earth, says, gave it three stars and says, watch this because it's an Emerald Fennel's four faves and nothing has ever made wow. more sense, which I have to say. Oh, yeah. Ella, that's that's that does make sense. Chris Rosen calls it peak 1999, peak yeah. problematic sexual politics, but, peak See, I think ending. Saltburn is an interesting <laughs> in comparison to Cruel Intentions because I think Saltburn goes over the top and over the line and has somehow less substance. Like, licking cum out of the bathtub is... Mm -hmm. Not amusing. Why is he licking that cup? Is he trying to win some sort I'm sorry, of bet? It's really is more a of a slurping. <laughs> what am I, a bet? Uh, in um, slurping cum. Slurping cum. But maybe like, the most popular this movie doesn't review on Letterbox from Lolo McFlowflow. I don't uh -huh. know how old this person is, but um, uh, it's still the most popular. It says going to high school in the '90s must have been really tough with everyone being 25 and on coke. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, we're, we're, they're getting a lot of three stars here. Kind of garbage, but it's perfect garbage. It's a three star. Uh, and fun. I like the combo of a Caucasian masterpiece and also straight people <laughs> are fucking weird. Uh, because you yeah. see young people back in the 90s, only white straight people were in movies. So that was all we had. There was no mm -hmm. other point of comparison uh, on screen. So that's what you have now that we didn't. Yes, yes. Uh, excellent uh, Caucasian masterpiece, three stars, uh, <laughs> is a summation. <laughs> I am comfortable with about cruel intentions. Someone says, uh, Elena says, Sebastian Valmont, the original Regina George. Yeah. So at least, you know, these, yeah, these people mean are watching really and did kind of steal, uh, the history that came before that. Steal that plot point for the, the, the burn I, I'll book. say this. The, there's a lot for Gen Z to relate to in cruel intentions, including the diagnosis of people who use email as like weirdos and pedophiles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> email's dead. Don't use email. Ryan Felipe was right. Right, Felipe was right. Read uh, Cruel Intentions, the journal of Sebastian Valmont, and it's a uh, very high school level uh, bind plastic binding, and shake your head in dismay at his poor sister uh, while looking over all the various other crimes he committed. Cruel Intentions. I don't know. It's, it's too short to not be fun for yeah. me, but maybe that's something where you had to see it initially for you to even Sabrina, feel like it's worth that much time. Sabrina Moore says, why do the richest people always want incest so bad? <laughs> <laughs> I think a, a historically uh, you know, coaching question. Um, I think that's it. I think yeah. we can end it there. Yeah. Hello. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week talking Dune 2. Time for Tune. Uh, I'm really excited Dude. to see it. I'm going to see if the popcorn Dude. bucket is there when I go to my AMC this Saturday to see it on IMAX. We'll report back. Dave is uh, wiggling his eyebrows while pointing. I can't believe the Dune 2 popcorn uh, bucket. I can't believe bucket. it wasn't part of uh, our Cruel Intentions conversation. It feels absolutely... Yes, he thought American Pie was bad. What happens if you fuck the bucket? Are you going to find out before we record next week? Is that what you're offering? Dave will be revealing that <laughs> next week on the what podcast. What does it feel like down there? Oh, you know, like a warm Dune Probably popcorn bucket. Probably pretty bad. You know, is what I'm if, guessing. if Vice still existed, you could absolutely sell an article about, you know, I fucked the Dune bucket. I don't, this is what it was like. What are all these jokes about fucking the dune bucket? You can't fuck the dune bucket. It's the hole is much too wide. <laughs> you you will not get pleasure. You will not give. How whole? Give pleasure? How big is the hole? <laughs>
I mean, the opening is wide, but it is uh, textured with some fairly firm plastic. I understand, but plastic. even with the, the, the flappy tendril <laughs> things, you're not going to... I mean, how big is that Well, hole? this has been the last episode of Fighting in the War Room. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. <laughs> Someone's going to letterbox that Padgett said flappy tendril things, and uh, that's going to be the, end of the show entirely. It's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, tune in next week if we're still around and maybe someone will have fucked the dune bucket and can explain how. Tune in for tune. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I was the uh, executive editor of Polygon until I got fired for talking about (laughs) dune flappy tendrils. And um, I'm on Blue Sky and I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightingintheworldroom.com. Everyone should probably go listen to our dune episode from now years ago. Uh, and and listen to that and enjoy it before Dune 2. Uh, we definitely watched it, because it was, at that point, streaming on Max. Mm-hmm. What a world we lived in in the year 2021. But those were the days. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, I'm the something at IndieWire. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and uh david Ehrlich and on blue sky and letterboxd and on instagram uh you can follow the adventures of glowy the glow in the dark stuffed dinosaur that i got for my son uh to help quell his like mild feel fear of the dark but really to combat uh, how he has sneakily leveraged a mild fear of the dark into uh, an excuse to stall during bedtime and come out of his room in the middle of the night um, and want to hang out on the couch uh <laughs> that's all over on my instagram and you can read my review of Dune Part 2 if you want a little sneak preview of how our conversation is going to go next week. going to be uh, also, uh, not at all contentious, I can tell. Well, I mean, the only other person who has seen the movie uh, on this recording right now is in my corner. So um, <laughs> maybe maybe it won't be. Um, but uh, you can find all of us on iTunes or on the Apple Podcast app at Fighting in the War Room. Reva, leave us a review. We will read it live at the start of the show. Otherwise, I will lecture you about my uh, Corvus Glaive deck in Marvel Snap um, with Proxima <laughs> Midnight as a recent addition. If you are not able to leave us a review on the podcast app, you can reach us via email. Dave, we're going to do that. You can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. Spell my first name, TA7E. You can find me there on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Letterboxd. And I am... I may not be thrilled about mobile games, but I'm thrilled that David knows who Corvus Clave is. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair uh, on the Little Gold Men podcast talking about the SAG Awards. Uh, we did a flashback of the 2004 Oscars uh, this week, which was really, really fun. Uh, this Return of the King year is a lot to get into. Um, you can find me on Twitter some, on Letterboxd more, maybe, at uh, Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all in some of those places at F-I-T-W-R, where if you know someone who has tried to do something they shouldn't do with the Dune popcorn bucket, I am interested to hear. I think it's just going to be an urban legend. No one's ever going to have actually done it, because why would they? Um, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was? Don't dare me, Katie. <laughs> I'm very susceptible to sex dares this week. In honor Jesus, of Dune why? Part 2, what is the best, because we <laughs> yep. watch Cruel Intentions, what is the okay. best Timothy Chalamet Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Bye, bye.
babam babam. Ne? Ondan. Ondan. Oradan.